Good morning, and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning, we begin a new series addressing the Christian discipline of prayer. We will see today, as we examine the power of prayer, that there is indeed a right and a wrong way to pray. We'd like to invite you to join us on this study over the next few weeks, and to thank you for listening today. Well, I was uh, shoveling this past uh, week, early on in the week. I think we got about four inches of snow in Iron Mountain, and thankfully we haven't had too much here lately. I thought I'd get a head start on it. I thought I'd get out ahead of the plow trucks and, you know, beat all my neighbors, right? So I got my snow shovel, and it's a pretty tiny snow shovel, yeah, maybe 20 inches. takes me a little bit of time to do this tiny little driveway, but I'm out there in the dark of night thinking... Hey, I'm getting a head start on everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve here. And right when I finish, some of you may be knowing where I'm going with this story. Right when I finish, I head back to the garage and I hear this rumbling sound off in the distance. It's getting louder. And I look and there are the headlights and the dark of night and the plow truck scraping its way down. And what took me about 20 minutes, the plow truck undid completely by throwing snow all back into my driveway. I'm standing right there watching this fella do this. And in a blink of an eye, everything that I did, whew, gone. I, I and me and my little tiny shovel, you know, it took me a lot of work, a little bit of time. And I was able to get it done, but in a split second, that plow truck could move more snow than I could in a full hour. Imagine if I drove the plow truck. Imagine if you had a plow truck, what you could do. I mean, uh, we wouldn't have any problem with snow. You just fire up the plow truck, right? you'd be done. I'm, lo- I'm, I'm looking at this situation and getting my shovel back out, fixing it up again, right? Moving the snow. But it made me think of the way in which uh, we sometimes operate without God. That we try to solve our own problems in our own strength. And you know what you've got? You've got a little 20-inch shovel compared to the snow plow that God has. Right? If you, would, if you would only go before God, that you would ask Him for help, that you'd put your requests to Him. He has answers that make the little effort that you try to do to fix your problems pale in comparison. Your and my ability to solve our problems is like a 20-inch snow shovel compared to God's ability to fix it in an instant, in the blink of an eye. He can do more than you and I can do over our entire effort that we would expel. I'm calling this message the the power of prayer. And it's beginning for us a series that's going to address this idea of how we need to learn to come before God. And I think as we begin on this, there's a few problems with prayer because as I have observed Throughout my uh, term in ministry, that prayer, praying is not something that everybody feels very comfortable doing. And I think there may be a few reasons behind this. I think part of it is the way in which we've grown up uh, understanding going to God has really been filled with these prayers that aren't, aren't really the kind of prayers we need to be praying. Maybe you've heard some of these. Uh, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive. You guys know the rest of it? From thy bounty. Dear Christ, dear Lord. And yeah, th- this is something that a lot of people just grew up praying before they eat. That's just, just what you said. And if you didn't say it, you felt like you were doing something wrong. And you probably should have said it. Or maybe this one before bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I, I pray the Lord my soul to take. When I was uh, working in the Caribbean, they had one that they would pray after our, um, 
because it was a Christian school. So when class and school was over, we would have one of our students pray and they would say this, now the day is over. Night is drawing nigh. Shadows of the evening steal across the sky. Now the darkness gathers, stars begin to peep. Birds and beasts and flowers soon will be asleep. That's not a prayer. That's just observation. Right? You're, you're just saying what's going on. And part of the problem, I think, with our exposure to prayer is that we've learned it in a sense of these kind of uh, routine rote phrases. Even so far as to say, and God forbid, but the Lord's Prayer is one of these prayers that we just say. I remember growing up in church really not knowing what it meant. And I prayed the Lord's Prayer, but I didn't quite understand it. We just said it every week. That's all we did. Apart from this idea of having grown up with just cookie-cutter prayers like this, it brings to light the problem of how we conceive of God. Church, I want to tell you this morning that you can go to God. He longs to hear from you. And He doesn't want a little cookie-cutter prayer. He longs to hear from you. God is... Above all things in our relationship with him, you want to know what he is? He is a person. That's what he is. So how do you communicate to people? When, when, you, see, when you see your wife or your spouse or your husband or your neighbors and your friends, do you say the same thing to them every time? Do you have a little cookie-cutter phrase that you just say and that's it? Or do you communicate to them and talk to them and express yourself to them? This is the same with God. God is a person. In fact, three persons in one. And, and the theological truth of this, and it's not part of my sermon, but just for sake of time, let me briefly tell you that when we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. So all three members of the Trinity are involved when we pray. But I want to encourage the church that prayers are not to be made, these little cookie-cutter things that we offer to God. Instead, you can talk to Him just like you would a friend. For He is your friend. You can tell him what you're facing and he's not going to get upset. I promise you that. He has very big shoulders. God can handle that which you are struggling through. And we need to learn to come to God in honest, genuine, humble prayers. A few quotes that I wrote down on your notes and they're up here on the screen. This is from R.A. Torrey. He would eventually uh, found the church that become the Moody Bible Church. He says, When the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, what's the devil do? He trembles as much as he ever did. For he knows... That his day in that church or community is at an end. If you start feeling the foul breath of the devil and those lies, the discouragement, whatever that might be, you know what you do, church? You turn to God in prayer. The devil's got no room to speak then because you're tapping into the power of God Almighty. Here's another one. Spurgeon says this, True prayer is measured by weight, not length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer than in a fine oration of great length. Uh, another probably common problem of, of our understanding of prayer is thinking that you've got to sound like, like the pastor does. Boy, I, Pastor Ryan, when you pray, my heart, hmm. That's kind of silly, but... Look, when, when we pray, we go before God... 
from the heart, not for length, not to be heard by people. I've, I, I could pray a long time, and part of that is because once I get going with praying, I don't want to quit. I just want to keep talking to God. And if I ever sound like I'm super religious or Christian, part of that is just because of my exposure with theology and other components that I've tapped into my life. But God doesn't need that. He simply wants to hear from you. Spurgeon is right. Prayer is measured not by length. I've got to go on and on, and if I just keep going on, eventually he's going to listen. Not true at all. That it's a question of, is it coming from your heart? That's what he longs for. God wants to hear from your heart. Not a cookie-cutter prayer, not a really, 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 really long one, not a super fancy religious one. Just simply from your heart. One other one, Corey Tenboom, missionary here, she says, and challenges us today, right? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Do you guys get the metaphor with that? When do you get the spare tire out? <coughs> when you got a problem, right? That's when I need the spare. Well, is that what prayer is for you? That you really only bring prayer out when you got a problem? That's the only time? How about a steering wheel? How often do you use the steering wheel? Hopefully everybody used it on the way to church, right? Like you use it all the time. And that's her point. Is prayer something that you are tapping into all the time? I can't, I can't get anywhere unless I'm praying. It's like my steering wheel. Or are you just kind of keeping it under the vehicle for, you know, that rainy day and then I'll, you know, call upon God. The danger, the real danger of that, as we're going to look to in the Word of God, is going to be found as to where we draw our confidence from. Did you remember what Evelyn read for us out of James? James chapter 5? If anyone's in trouble, he should, he should pray. He goes on to list all these things that you do in praying, but then he says something awesome in verse 17. He brings out a character from the Old Testament, Elijah. Now, if you were in James' day and you were hearing this, you would know as soon as he says Elijah, you think, well, that guy, that guy could pray. Like if ever you were going to want to elevate someone from the Old Testament who really was a prayer warrior, that would be Elijah. In fact, Elijah called upon God against the servants of Baal. And you know what? God answered in a miraculous fashion. So he becomes kind of this poster boy, right? Elijah. But what did James say? Did you see it? Elijah was a man just like us. Nothing special about Elijah. Same as you. Same as me. God's listening to you the same as he listened to Elijah. You don't have to be a man of power and religious strength. You don't have to be the pastor or a deacon or an elder. God wants to hear from your heart. He wants prayer to be something that you grab onto like a steering wheel first of all. He wants it to be something that we do as a church as well. That we pray together. And that's going to be one of the emphases that I want to bring out through this Time where we study together. Luke chapter 18 for our sermon. What we're going to do is read through the passage. We're going to make a few observations from the text. And I have four points of conclusion as we wind things up. Luke chapter 18. What's the page? You're all there. 1628. Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 9 through 14. 1629. Anyone still searching? Say, Lord, help me. <laughs> we must all be there. Here we go. Luke 18, he records these words. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I chose this passage because it brings out a contrast within prayer. It, as we sang, and you heard the choir this morning, teach us to pray, right? Well, this is a really good example to see two very different approaches of prayer. I want you to look right at the very beginning. Uh, he's addressing those who were confident in what? You see that? They were confident in their own righteousness. He, he repeats it in the same idea that what did they do to everybody else? They, they looked down on everyone else. You know, let's just call this what it, what it is, right? They think that they're better. They think that they're better. How do you fall on that spectrum? Where do you fall th- this morning? Do, do, would you fall uh, on, on, this, on the level of someone who thinks that you're kind of better than others? Is there anyone maybe in your community that you kind of would say, oh, thank God I'm not like them? Is there anyone here in this church that you would say, thank God I'm not like them? We, we got to be real careful because I would be willing to bet we all fall somewhere on the spectrum. And Jesus wants to speak to you this morning and really address the question of confidence, right? That's the issue here. What are you confident in? These are the ones that are confident in their own righteousness. In fact, he's going to show us here about them in this next verse. Uh, so we got two men that go up to the temple to pray. He's going to highlight the difference between them, right? A Pharisee, this is the, the best of the best. And a tax collector, which is the worst of the worst. Yeah, Tax collectors were public um, enemies. I mean, we, they were outcasts. You saw a tax collector, guess what? You turned around and went the other way. Not only were they coming after you for your money, but they had gotten in bed with Rome. They were with the enemy. They were with the wrong team. And so you couldn't, and Jesus couldn't highlight a further contrast between these two, right? The best of the best and the worst of the worst. You fall somewhere on that spectrum this morning. Look at what the Pharisee says in verse 11. He stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers and evildoers, adulterers, and look what he does. He saves the worst for last, right? Even this tax collector. And then he starts to give his list. I simply want you to recognize, if you look here on the screen, and you can see it in your Bible, uh, what's the personal pronoun that this guy likes a lot? Yeah, it's not talking to God, it's talking about what? He's talking about himself. Uh, I'm not like these people, and I'm certainly not like that person, and I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I have. He's got his list. Not only that, but he's got this horizontal comparison. Who's he comparing himself to? All the other people that he sees. He's not looking up to heaven to compare himself with God. He's looking across the street comparing himself. Church, that's very dangerous. 
At any point, you are discerning your spiritual growth by looking across the pew, across the aisle, across the street. You know what? You're in danger. Because what you'll begin doing is placing yourself higher than others, being so overwhelmed with me, myself, and I. That's this guy's problem. The second thing that he does is he starts to, to list his accomplishments. How often do you fast? Who here, by show of hands, gives a tenth of all that? No, don't raise your hand. Right? But you can imagine, right, that this is, for this guy, his list of righteousness. Look at the good that I'm doing. God, you want to know why I'm so great? I got to tell you why I'm so great. He's more overcome by what he does for God than what God does for him. What about us? Have you ever been there? Is that something that you find true in your own life? That you would be more impressed with what... God, let me just tell you why you should pick me for your team. Let me, let me tell you all, all the things that I do for you. Rather than coming to him in prayer to recognize all of the things that he has done for you. There's a major difference between these. Alright, let's look at now the tax collector. Verse 13. When the tax collector comes, he does four things. Notice he stands at a distance. He recognizes that there is a contrast between God's holiness and who he really is. Such that he doesn't even feel worthy to approach. So he stands back. He's not, he's not looking for attention. I remember um, when I was in school, you got the most attention if you were in the front row. What do we call those kids that sat in the front row? Right? What do we call them? Teachers. The teacher pet, right, yeah. They were the ones at recess that you uh, gave wedgies to. Anyone? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, the teacher's pet, right? You want to get all the attention. Well, the Pharisee, in the same way, right up front, look at me. Look, everybody look at me, but this guy. This guy recognizes that there's nothing to look at. He understands who he really is, and so he doesn't want to sit up front. He's kind of, he's kind of towards the back, recognizing that he is unworthy. He does a second thing here. He doesn't even look up to heaven. The third thing that he does is he beats on his breast. Right? This is this physical action of contrition to recognize there's hurt, that there's pain, that he's in need. And the fourth thing that he does is he prays. Look who he addresses. He's not overcome with himself. Not me, myself, and I. But he is looking at God. It's a very simple prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a real short passage. At the end of this, Jesus recognizes and he wants these people who are confident in their own self. He wants them to see that this man, the humble man with the simple prayer that was honest about who he was, that was calling on God for dependency, this one went away justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The first thing I want you to see, church, is that when we pray, we need to be humble. When we come before God, we do so with humility. There's a few conclusions to come from this. Number one is this. There is a right and there is a wrong way to pray. If your grandma told you when you didn't know how to pray, well... Darling, don't worry. There's no wrong way to pray. I'm here to correct that. There actually is a wrong way to pray. 
We need to make sure that we come before God. You're not acting like the Pharisee. That's the wrong way to pray. Telling God all about your lists. So overcome with who you are. Rather than looking at what he's done in your life. There's a wrong way to pray, but there's also a right way to pray. Number one is this. It needs to be humility rather than pride. When we come to God, we do so as those with heads what? Heads bowed before the creator God. It's a very simple thing to do, but you know what? It kind of sets the posture right. Have you ever tried to pray like this? Arms crossed, just chin out. It's not going to go very well for you trying to pray like this. Just the physical posture. You know what I find to be really good? When, when I pray, when I really am saying, God, I need you, I even get down on my knees. Right? Because there's something about humbling myself before God that changes my mind and my heart. That now I recognize my pride's not showing up. Because I'm low. I'm recognizing I'm getting low. Whenever an angel of the Lord would come in throughout Scripture, what did the people do? They always fell down. Right? There's always this this physical posturing before the presence of God. The number one way to approach God in the right way for prayer is in humility. Don't lose that. That's number one. Second is this. It's in honesty. Rather than looking good. Rather than dressing up. I've seen some pictures of my hometown across the river in Florence uh, where they would build, and this happened big in the uh, late 1800s, they would put uh, on their buildings these, these uh, nice square rectangle faces on them. Do you guys know what those are called? It's called a facade. It makes the building look bigger than it really is. It makes it look a little taller than it really is. A little fancier than it really is. Windows where there ain't room. Right? It's a facade. It gives the impression that there's more there than what's under the surface. Be very careful, church, not to do that. I'm thankful that I'm part of a congregation that, from my observation, doesn't really try to dress up too much to impress God. Look, God ain't impressed. And if you think you're coming here, guess who you're fooling? It's not the folks from Segola. They, they know, all right? You're only fooling yourself. Don't come to God with your lists. Don't come to God dressed up, looking all dolled up for Him. You know what? Come to Him with honesty. With honesty. Not a, not a fancy appearance. You'll recognize verse uh, that mentions in, in his prayer. In verse 13, God have mercy on me, a what? A sinner. And I, I need to apologize because I'm looking at my wrong screen here. That's actually the third one. I, sk I skipped over one here. So, hey, if I do that, just... Someone point that out to me next time, all right? So, yeah, so honesty rather than appearance. But the second one here is simplicity over coercion. Look at the length of his prayer. Right? The tax collector. Did he go on and on and on and on? What did he say? God have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Just simplicity. So number one is honesty. Number two, simplicity. For those of you that don't have much experience in praying, that's good news. You can go before God with just a simple prayer. And then finally, as we've seen, what's the response in his prayer? God have mercy on me. Not a guy that gives a tenth. Not a guy that fasts twice a week. But a, I'm a sinner. Right? He's honest with his prayer. Honest uh, humility. Simplicity. Honesty. And number four is this. Dependency. Versus self-reliance. The tax collector understands who he has to call on for help. 
The Pharisee was well overcome with all of his own abilities. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other jerks, right? But the Pharisee knew, or the tax collector knew, he was one of the jerks. I, I was one of these people that needs God. I have to call on God, not myself, not my own ability. I need to be dependent on God. So number one, there is a right and there is a wrong way to pray. When we come to pray, folks, this is the pattern I want us to follow. With humility, with simplicity, with honesty, and with dependence. Number two is this. Genuine prayer changes us. Uh, Fake, fancy prayer? That won't do a thing for you. But genuine prayer will change you. When this guy came to the temple, he came to God in a way that was characteristically different from the Pharisee. It had changed him. His prayer had caused him to act differently. Not only that, but look at the result. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. Do you see that by his prayer he was changed? Genuine prayer changes us. I have more than I have time for this morning to speak on this. But many times we think that if we just ask God with enough faith, we'll get God to listen. And that's not how prayer works. That prayer works in reverse. It changes us so that we begin to value the things that God loves and God values. That's where the real change comes. Are you, are you looking for change in your life? Anybody looking to find a, a growth in Christ's likeness in your life? Well, guess what? Prayer is not going to make God just sprinkle the fairy dust on you and suddenly you're better. But genuine prayer, prayer that comes from your heart, will change you. God will begin to cause you to exchange those things of this world for the things of heaven. Because genuine prayer changes us. Number three is this. God listens to humble prayers. Again from verse 14. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. The Pharisee could have kept talking. It wouldn't have done him any good. He could have kept listening. It wouldn't have done him any good. It was by the humble prayer that God listened. That change came. So God listens to humble prayers. Uh, we had that repeated in James chapter 5. That the, the uh, effective prayers of a, of a righteous man. You might put in the blank there. A humble man. Will accomplish much. That God listens to humble prayers. And number four is this. Our confidence must be found in God. And not in our own righteousness. The whole story, the whole story circles around this idea of Jesus speaking to those who were so smitten with themselves. Where is your confidence, church? Is it in God or is it in you? God wants to do some amazing things. He wants to do some things in your life and in the life of this church that we don't even see yet. He's got ministry ideas. He's got programs and plans to work on us, to grow us together closer as little families and as a big family. Amazing things planned for this church that we don't even know of yet. And you will never find them. You and I will never find them if we're trying to accomplish it with a 20-inch snow shovel in our own strength. Let's just go by our own effort. Let's only move forward by the faith of what we see in the bank account rather than what we see by faith. 
If you go downstairs, you'll recognize uh, that the basement is in a little bit of uh, need of repair. It used to really smell terrible down there, and then we tore out the carpet, and now it smells good, but guess what? There's no carpet, and kind of highlights everything else that needs to be readjusted and restructured. And I feel like God has shown me a vision for what it looks like for a church to invest in its young people. I'm convinced that's what every church needs to do. You don't invest in your young people, guess what? Those churches die. And as we look to that renovation, to this basement, to let it become all that it can for the littlest kids in a nursery, to the toddlers, to the little ones that are learning, to the children in church ones that answer my questions, even all up to high school. It's not going to happen downstairs unless we walk by faith. Because if we're just dependent on our own abilities, it's not going to work. We needed to be, be dependent on God, to trust God for something as simple as a basement renovation. What else does God have planned for us, church? Amazing things that he's ready to do. If only we would ask, then we'd receive. If only we'd seek, and then we'd find. If only we would knock. In your own life, don't be found trying to solve the problems of your life with a 20-inch snow shovel. Go to God. He's got an answer that you don't even know of yet. He's got a way of fixing it that you're not even aware of yet. 